Hey folks, welcome to State of the U Podcast, episode 12, or actually episode 14, wow, I I can't believe we've already done 14 episodes. Uh, Today we've got a lot of cool stuff on tap, we're going to talk some canes, we're going to go to non-cane related subject matter um, shortly thereafter. Uh, We're going to be joined today by uh, one of our featured writers, Cam Underwood, and also by Josh Kaufman. Um, Cam, I want to start with you today. Uh... Al Golden struck again. Seems like every year around this time, uh, Miami has the Al Golden football camp, and um, it, he really doesn't waste a lot of time getting the verbal commitments. Can you give our, our listeners a little update on what happened today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the Al Golden football camp was today, and uh, yesterday there, were actually, there was one also, so this whole weekend. Um, but we picked up a commitment from a kicker slash punter. His name is Drew Gallitz. He is from Rowlett, Texas, the town of one of my very good friends from undergrad who lived on my floor uh, in the dorms, so I know exactly where that is uh, in one of the uh, Dallas Metroplex suburb areas. Um, but getting back to the commitment, Drew is uh, a very highly regarded player uh, at his position, but that's not a position where you're going to have a very high star rating. So uh, for those who are looking for stars, as it were, uh, you're not going to be satiated by that. He's only a two-star recruit, uh, but most kickers are only going to be two- and three-star recruits uh, on, you know, your 24-7 rival ESPN ranking. However, um, in the kicking world, he is a superstar. He is one of the top two kickers, depending on which ranking service you look at, in the country for this class. Uh, So while it's not a – a sexy name like a, uh, you know, uh, Duke Johnson was or, you know, some of these other guys, Stacey Coley uh, in recruiting, he feels a huge need. Um, he's a very, very good kicker. He, uh, he did not do the place kicking for his high school last year because they had a kid who signed somewhere, I forget where, um, but he did the place kicking. This other kid in Gallup was the punter, and he was a kickoff man where 38% of his kickoffs went for touchbacks. Um, but he's been to a bunch of camps. He has, you know, one of the private kicking coaches out there in Texas, uh, and he's a superstar. Like, he's just he's one of the best kickers around. Um, and as we've seen, that's uh, an area of the game that can help us. You know, uh, Pat Mc- or Odell last year coming in and punting really well. Uh, so special teams is an area where we uh, try to excel so we can get a little bit of extra advantage and having Duke Alex coming uh, next year to uh, compete to be a kicker. Uh, and he should be the only scholarship picker next year, I believe, because Jonathan Semarini from Cypress Bay High School out here in Weston, he's a, a preferred walk-on. Um, so Gallus is the scholarship player at that position, um, and hopefully he can come in just like some other kickers around uh, the country have and as a freshman win job. But, yeah, very, very talented kid, big leg, uh, right-footed kicker. Um, you know, and they just add the 13th commitment to this class, and we get this momentum and keep it rolling forward, and and Cam, uh, help me out here. What, what year is Matt Gujas going into? Is he going into uh, his senior year? Um, I don't know. Hold on, I gotta sit here at the computer real quick and load up the matrix. And if you don't know, up on stateofview.com, uh, if you search for the scholarship matrix, I put one up for uh, football and Jerry put one up for basketball. So when you have these questions about, hey, what year is this guy in? What's the eligibility looking like? Well, uh, this is a resource that is uh, right at your fingertips. Uh, 
and of course my internet wants to go on slowly. But I think that he is. Um, I think Otis is going into his redshirt junior year. Okay, so so theoretically, Gudis would be a senior uh, the freshman year of you know um, Drew, or I'm sorry, Andrew Gallitz. So that would give Gallitz a full year to either redshirt and and learn a little bit, and you know, not that kickers really have a you know huge learning curve um, coming in, but it give him a year to adjust to the college game, um, and then he probably you know likely. Could be the place kicker for Miami if he lives up to expectation uh, by his redshirt freshman year or his sophomore year if he burnt, they end up burning the redshirt. So definitely a good pickup. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. Special teams is always an underrated part of the game. Um, we saw with Pat O'Donnell now, you know, six-round draft pick with the Chicago Bears, what he meant to UM last year. So you can never underrate, uh, you know, picking up a nice kicker. So good signing, and I'm, I'm glad to see that Al Golden – uh, his camps that he has over the summer are still very influential on these recruits. Um, so we'll see. Maybe we'll get a couple more um, verbal commits in the next couple of days. So thank you for the update, well, Cam. Yeah, I mean, and just to, 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 to close that out, um, there is no Al Golden football camp next weekend for Father's, Father's Day weekend. Um, but the 20th and the 21st, there's another two-day camp weekend. Um there were a lot of tournaments, so seven on seven, and a couple other um, like rivals five star events this weekend. So um, the star power at the Algoland football camp was down a little bit this week. So I know people are still kind of clamoring for some of the top names that they know. Just be patient uh, and be on the lookout in the future. Hopefully, uh, things will keep going our way. Absolutely. And I see we're also joined on the phone today by Josh Kaufman. Josh, how are you today? Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm doing good. Josh, did you do a backflip at the news that Miami picked up uh, a kicker today, a verbal commit? Yeah, yeah, it was getting me so excited. I almost forgot about who's going to be throwing the ball next season. <laughs> All right. So, guys, guys let's, let's move on to our first topic, and we're going to go through this really briefly. Uh, we, we did a roundtable that we did in an article uh, this week. I don't want to kill it too much, um, but, but let's just – Really briefly recap what happened. University of Miami men's basketball baseball team, excuse me, could not get out of the regional for I think this is the fourth straight year. Um, they're eliminated by Texas Tech with a four nothing loss um, in the final game last Monday. Uh, really quickly, Cam, your thoughts? Um, I wrote this on the the roundtable. Um, a couple of good things, and uh, well, really one good thing was the pitching. Uh, under a two ERA in the postseason, uh, and that includes the ACC tournament. Uh, so they really did well. Uh, the bats, they, I don't know, they, they went out to pasture to die um, or just wither away. It, it was just really bad to see. Um, I mean, couldn't hit anything, no timely hitting. Uh, and I was live tweeting uh, on the State of the U account during, um, during the regionals. And the first, sorry, we, we won the first game against Bethune, the second game against, Texas Tech, I think we left 15 guys on base. The last game, I think we left another eight or nine guys on base, or no, 11 guys on base, and of those eight were in squad position. Um, we just, I mean, we couldn't get any kind of timely hitting. I don't even think we got anybody two-third base in the last game. Um, yeah, just couldn't couldn't hit at all when we needed to, and that's why we lost. 
Yeah, I, I kind of felt like it was like somebody stuck a pin in a balloon, and it just like slowly, you know, <laughs> the air slowly went out of it um, on Monday. Um, I'll be the first person to confess that prior to this year, I had not really like followed the season from start to finish the way I had this year. Um, and I, I was really excited midseason and what the team did. Like you said, the pitching was there all year round. The hitting picked up a little bit, you know, midway, midway through the year. But um, it, it's amazing to me that they managed to go the entire season without getting shut out, and they got shut out twice in the regional. But it's kind of like Major League Baseball. The pitching improves. Um, I, I I was When I watched the regional, I was hoping that they would take more pitches, try and work some more counts. But at the same time, I understand if you have an aggressive um, lineup and you have guys that are, you know, free swingers, it's hard to, to adjust your, you know, how you approach at bat. So uh, it was a very disappointing end. Josh, do you have any thoughts on, on Miami's baseball season coming to an end? No, not really. None whatsoever? <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I, think, I think sometimes, you know, and – we, we look at how a team performs during the season, and if they have a disappointing postseason, we kind of let it catch more of a a shadow on the, the regular season. I think uh, in these kind of in, in college, especially, and in baseball, to have like these short two games, you're eliminated, best of three. I mean, it's 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 really a lot to ask a baseball team to be able to work their whole season and have it come down to like these just one game battles, and you know, you, you win, you move on. I think. Uh, Baseball has decided over a longer period of time than most sports, more games, and I think that's what the postseason should be. Okay, and I appreciate your your honest approach, uh, <laughs> brief as it may be, on the subject. Well, All right, I, I guys, I don't I don't want to kill this subject because we did do the roundtable, and and I I you know I'm kind of. Uh, not the happiest about the way the season ended. So let's push forward. Let's hope next year. Uh, before we move away from games baseball, congratulations to the players that were drafted. I know Andrew Suarez went in the second round. I think Radzinski went in the fourth round. Dale Carey went in the seventh round. And one of their other pitchers, I think, went in the third or fourth round. So congratulations to those guys. I hope, uh, you know, other than Carey, I think, who's a senior, I hope the ones that uh, still have eligibility left come back to UM. But if they don't, we wish them well. Uh, on the next level. All right, so guys, we, there's really not a lot going on uh, in terms of Kane Sports right now. Um, and in and, and future episodes, we'll do more in Kane Sports, but I thought today would be a great opportunity to talk about some other things that are going on in the world of sports. And there's nothing bigger going on in the world of sports than the NBA Finals right now. Uh, tonight, in a couple of hours, we're going to have Game 2. Um, we all know what happened in Game 1, uh, Crampgate or whatever you want to call it, which I, I personally I find it ridiculous that anybody be critical of a guy for not being able to play because of cramps. I've never had well, them to the yeah, extent of an and athlete. that's exactly, I think, where it comes from. They haven't – people haven't had massive cramps like that. Like, maybe you catch a little Charlie horse. But, I mean, as you're sitting here listening to that, if you have had a, a Charlie horse, like, think about how bad that is, and that lasts for five seconds. LeBron is a cyborg. He's 6'9", 280 pounds with 5% body fat. I mean, and that led it to, to be what it was, where his body just did not have enough fluids in it. And you saw him on the bench. I know everybody's seen all the memes and all the pictures of him drinking 
Gatorade, even though he won't say it's the name of that company anymore, which I think is funny. But he was hydrating himself all day long, and it still didn't have enough because he has this uh, body mass, this muscle mass ratio that, I mean, you don't find that pretty much anywhere ever in the history of human being life. And that's what led to him having cramps that went all the way up and down his leg. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it was it was unfortunate. Yeah, it was a they, very good game until then, but it happened. The AC, the AC didn't help either. I'm not going to blow yell conspiracy like I see some people saying it was a Spurs conspiracy, but you know, it was definitely uh, you don't see like LeBron come out of games like that too often. Now, he has to well, do so much for that team too. He's like the entire team. That team, that team wouldn't maybe make wouldn't even make the playoffs maybe in the East if he wasn't on it. I mean, you could see. I mean, not that you know underrate San Antonio, but they completely just. You know, collapsitized right after you went out. They're like minus twenty nine over the last like seven minutes. That's what it seemed like. It was terrible. I, I think I mean, without LeBron in there, you got Danny Green making threes all of a sudden. And I mean, when LeBron was in there, Danny Green couldn't even breathe to the point where he only played six other minutes in the game. You know, and then he comes in and has eleven points in the last four minutes because he just can't miss because he has all this open space. Yeah, yeah I, it, I, I think it was a combination of things. I, I, I think Josh makes a good point, and Cammy makes a good point. I think the Heat's dependence upon LeBron James this year is magnified compared to previous years, including last year. Um, a guy that I, I hate because he was a former Gator, but Mike Miller uh, was a clutch performer for the Heat in previous years. They let him go. Yeah, they would have won that game easy. I, I mean, I watched the whole game. I'm not a huge NBA fan, but at the moment James went out, they were they were taking control of that game, and they were gonna they were probably gonna extend that lead if he could have played. It just I, I just think it goes to show you yeah, that but I, I don't know I don't know that that's a given because you look at the type of play now. LeBron James is just as important on defense as he is on offense, and I can't. I can't disagree with you that his defense would have helped, but you look at the shots that they're making. Yes, there are a few wide-open ones. Um, San Antonio is the best team in the NBA at moving the ball and finding good shots. And when they start making them like that, you know, they they're, they had the best record in the NBA. They had the best record in a much more competitive West than, than the East. So I, 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 I think it was the combination of San Antonio being that good and like you made, you illustrated very clearly, the Heat's dependence upon LeBron James. I think they're like an eight seed in the East if you take LeBron off that team because D. Wade has to miss 10 to 15 games a year. And, you know, they're just not as deep as they were in previous years. So I, I think you're right. Now, getting back to your previous point um, and not being conspiratorial, but I think we'll find out today whether or not um, San Antonio, you know, really uh, played to that electric problem with the air conditioning because they're – Supposedly they have it fixed. We'll see what the the temperature in that building's like today. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure they have it fixed. That was kind of a fiasco. So that brings I mean, me I, to my next point. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cam. No, I mean I know that they're going to have it fixed and and everything, but there were a couple people, uh, journalists, credential journalists, media members who were there at the game. Say, okay, we were in the you know press area and we were going downstairs or whatever, but. We had, or I felt AC in all these other places, but not on the floor. Like in the hallway leading to the Spurs locker room, like there was AC. And this other place, like where all these kitchens are, because you can't have a kitchen where you're cooking all that food and not have any kind of ventilation. But there was AC over there, but not 
in the original level. So I, would, I found this to be interesting. I mean, do you think that, like, do you think that since, like, if you're San Antonio and you're, what, 38-year-old center is your, your, you know, one of your bedrock players, who do you think that that would affect more, your 38-year-old center or the cyborg, LeBron James? I mean, like, I, there's no, like, you know, I, I just don't understand how San Antonio would say, hmm, let's turn off the air conditioner. That would be good for us. I, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't. Yeah, what's the motive? You're going to put your team in danger. The floor gets slick with sweat. I mean, Parker goes down or Ginobili goes down or Duncan goes. I mean, you're really going to risk that with your, you know, your, you contend every year for, for championships. I mean, I just, I, I would have expected LeBron James to do better than everybody else because he's a better athlete under those circumstances, you know. But, hey, it didn't happen. True. Yeah, well, who would you bet? If you knew before the game, and you knew it was going to get to be like 90-something degrees in there, and you had to make a bet on who was going to have the most left in the tank at the end, who would you have bet on? I would have definitely bet on LeBron. I mean, yeah, so who is the, the Spurs? Why would they? Yeah, I, I just, like, I just don't no, get I it. I, I hear your point of that doesn't make logical sense. I don't think that, I mean, if, if you look back at it, LeBron had plenty in his cardiovascular system. He wasn't, like, tired to that level. You know, he wasn't like, I can't breathe, I'm asthmatic, whatever. But huh. Yeah, so and they, he, he came in for one second. Him. His leg didn't work. He scored, like, their last basket of the game almost. Like, right. he, he was able to, with one leg, he was able to drive through that defense. Like, so, I don't know. Like, just, like, the seriously part of that is just, it's a little too much for me. I, it, it, it's a lot to contemplate. I mean, it, it does seem like, uh, you know, to say it was premeditated seems odd to me, but perhaps when they realized when he started to cramp up, they didn't go out of their way to, uh, you know, fix it. I don't know. It, it, it's a lot to think about. It, it is odd. It's an odd circumstance. I mean, what if there are, you know, elderly people in the audience who've, like, fainted or passed out? I mean, it's just like the, from a liability standpoint, to have, like, a, to do that on purpose seems far-fetched. But, yeah. yeah. It was it was a great game and and people remember that forever, which is kind of cool about it. It'll be the air conditioning game for the rest of sports history in twenty years. No, it'll be the LeBron cramp game. It won't be the air conditioning game. Oh yeah, LeBron cramp game. I agree with Cam on that. Yeah, the the cramps will be talked about. Yeah, only only idiots think that he was like too soft and too weak to play in the game. I mean, I've had like a cramp in my calf or whatever, and you know, only lasts for a few seconds for me because my calf is like four hundred pounds of muscle. But it's debilitating. You fall on the ground and you pray that it ends. I I know that for a while I was getting them at night, you know, when I first started exercising, I was getting them, you know, recently exercising, I should say. I was getting them a lot at night, and it it felt to me like I was being stabbed. It, It would wake me up out of a dead sleep to get a cramp in my leg, and it felt like I was being stabbed. I couldn't imagine in that type of team, trying to get up and play basketball, even in, like, a weak little pickup game. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, think, I think that's been blown out of proportion. I, I think people want to deify these guys, and, and I think people, especially in the media, want to go overboard when they see a chink in the armor. And um, I, I, I don't think there's any, any grounds for abusing this guy because he cramped up. It's just an un- unfortunate circumstance for the Miami Heat and for him personally. So, but what brings me to my next point? I, I I don't want predictions on 
what the temperature is going to be. I want predictions on the game. I'm going to start with you, Josh. How do you see this one playing out tonight? Oh, wow. Um, I, I mean, honestly, then uh, it can't be overstated. It all depends on LeBron James, right? If he's fully hydrated, he's ready to go, I think the Heat have a good shot at winning. I think they would have – when he went out in that game, they were they were asserting control in the end of that game. It looked like the Spurs were going to crack. When he went out, they seemed to get their second wind and, and take the game. And, and you know me, Jay, I'm not a really an NBA fan, but I was I was watching the series and watching the series and some of the others with interest because they – and playoff basketball is like a different sport from the regular season for the most point. So I definitely give it a go most years. And this year it's, you know, it's been pretty entertaining. And I think this, season, this series will be really entertaining. I, th- I, th- I still think the Heat will win it in six. So, so you have tonight, the Heat winning tonight and you have the Heat winning in six. Yeah. Okay, Cam, how about you? Um, you know, I I really think that the Heat are going to find a way to pull this one out, um, especially on the heels of Game 1, where they had a very good chance to, and then for whatever reason, they just fell off the rails. Um, I think that this is going to be a six- or seven-game series to begin with, so um, yeah, I think it's kind of – I think the Heat are going to pull this one out, and then we're just going for a dog fight all the way until a champion is crowned. I, I have two things that, that I'm concerned about uh, if I was a Heat fan. Um, first, uh, Miami was in control of the game, as Josh pointed out, but San Antonio had an incredibly high amount of turnovers for a team that usually takes care of the ball pretty well. And I, I think that was what was more than anything spurring the Heat on um, in the beginning, or the middle of the game, I should say. Uh, if they can't produce those type of turnovers again, um, it, it might not be smooth sailing, uh, at least for the first three quarters. The second thing is, I don't know if Birdman is hurt. I, I'm really not sure what's going on, but it doesn't look like there's much resistance on the inside for the Heat. I don't see Birdman playing a lot of minutes. Uh, they're not deep to yeah. start out with. Chris Bosch Bosch. is like his mincemeat compared to Duncan's turning him into mincemeat down there. Is yeah. There- I don't like like that matchup for the Heat. Now, the positive is, I don't care how good San Antonio is, there's no way they're going 14 of 16 from the floor in the fourth quarter again. So, if you're a Heat fan, you know that San Antonio is not going to shoot that well again, but you can't rely on that same volume of turnovers, I don't think. I, I think this game comes down to the stretch, down the stretch, I like LeBron's past history when the Heat fall down 0-1. I, I like the Heat to win by two. Uh, tonight, and I and I think the game goes seven. I think the series goes seven, and I know the listeners from South Florida will probably be pissed at me, but I think the Spurs win in seven this year. I, I just think that they have. I, I do. I just think they have a deeper team. I, I think LeBron's the best player, but I think they have a deeper team. So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, before we. Um, get off of this topic and move on to other things. I'll start with you, Cam. Other than LeBron, who could possibly step up for the Heat to help them win? I mean, is there a player that, I mean, D-Wade is obvious. Is there a player that can maybe, you know, come forward that you're not, maybe that people aren't about to help them? Um, if you follow me on Twitter, Underwood Sports, that's where I usually tweet about non-team-related uh, athletic events. 
you've seen me going back and forth with a couple people about this player for a couple of years, uh, and he's been atrocious this playoff season, and it's Mario Chalmers. Um, and I know that he has the unenviable task of having to guard Tony Parker on one end, which got him five fouls almost as quick as LeBron had his five fouls in that game against Indiana. Um, because Tony Parker is their best player now. Um, though Tim Duncan is historically their best player right now, that's Tony Parker. And Chalmers has to go head up with him, and that's tough. Um, you saw how he'll try, uh, dribble into the lane and try to put up that little reverse layup uh, like he would do in other series. But, you know, Indiana, they had length, and the Spurs, they're just, they have length and they have smart. They're not letting him get that off. Um, and he's totally out of his game. He's turning the ball over. He's a hack machine on defense. He's just fouling people all the time, not making smart passes, not making open shots, not really contributing to the offense, which hurts the spacing, and it just puts that much more uh, weight on LeBron being LeBron, which is the best player in the world, Dwayne Wade with his resurgence like this is 2006 again, and Chris Bosh has to make these jump shots because Mario Chalmers is not doing the thing that he needs to do, which is be smart, play in control, vary his pace on offense, and make open jump shots. And he's done none of those four things. And if he can come through and hopefully help out a little bit, you know, then that lightens everyone's load and it gives them the diverse attack um, that we saw from the Spurs and hopefully would help, uh, you know, the Miami Heat become victorious. But Mario Chalmers, he just needs to step it up, period. Yeah, well, let me ask you. Have you ever seen the Saturday Night Live skit where Stephen A. Smith is impersonated saying Mario Chalmers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you think Stephen A. Smith goes on a Mario Chalmers like rant if he uh, if he can't do it? Uh, I don't know if he'll go on a rant, but whenever the uh, SNL comes back, we might get another one of those catches. Did you see how sad? Did you see how sad Stephen A. Smith was on ESPN the next morning after the Heat cramp game? He looked like he looked like a close relative of his had just passed away. Well, yeah, because I, he was I, I, able, I, I, able to go with Skip Bayless, though. You know what's like, crazy, though? Stephen A. Smith loves LeBron James, but he's an admitted Knicks fan. He, he roots for the Knicks. So I, I wonder, you know, it seems like an odd marriage to me that a Knicks fan would be so closely, I don't know, with, well, at least with a fear. No, 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 no. The thing with the NBA is it's always been a star-driven league. You have your local team. You have that team that you have allegiance to. For me, that's the Detroit Pistons. Always has been. That's where I'm from. Uh, you know, that that's my city. Motown, I ride with my city. That's who I love. When Michael Jordan played, I was the biggest Michael Jordan fan that there was because stars drive the league. So it, it doesn't surprise me that people are like, oh, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. I mean, you guys hear me talking about the Heat. I'm not a Heat fan. I'm a LeBron fan because I like his level of excellence. I've watched him for years and years and years. He's my favorite individual player, but I still have allegiance to my team. And that's always been the the mode of the NBA, from Bird to Magic to Dr. J to Wilt to, you know, Bill Russell to Larry Bird to Kuzi, all these guys, they push the individual players and hopefully they stay with your team. But with free agency, now you follow the players around the league um, and you still have your local squad. So it doesn't surprise me because I'm kind of the same as Stephen and A. Smith in that one respect, not any other respect, in that one respect where I like an individual player who's not necessarily on my personal favorite team. Gotcha, Cam. Uh, and, and let me just get back to Josh. 
second, Josh, is there somebody other than Mario Chalmers that you think could step up to help the Heat out and help LeBron uh, come through? Oh, man. I mean, I, I would say someone that can battle down low. Maybe I, I guess the Odin guy can't play. Uh, is Haslam healthy? Can he contribute still, or is he kind of toast? I, I think Haslam hasn't been healthy for the past, like, four years, but he, he still plays and he still gives it his all. Uh, that's, that's an interesting take. Maybe Haslam is a guy that, that needs to see more I, minutes. I, uh, I mean, they just they, it looked like Tim Duncan was able to just, like, like knock – Bosh around like a little baby, so I, I mean they need they need somebody down there that can maybe hold off Duncan and, and split her a little bit. Well, I mean yeah. they they're kind of stuck with who they have. Birdman, yeah, he missed a couple games in in the Indiana series, but you know he's the energy guy. But it's hard to be just a, a energy jump and rebound and block shot guy against a team that's as smart as San Antonio. And, you know, Udonis Haslam, he's from Miami. Everybody loves him. He's a captain. He's been on the team his entire career. But he's 6'7", man. I mean, and that's just tough when you got, you know, guy after guy after guy on, you know, Duncan and Splitter and Dial who are all 6'10 or above, and you've got a power forward who's 6'7 on a good day going against them. That's just hard. Is that a, is that a knock yeah, on, man, on yeah, Miami? Hasn't Haslam made a career team yet? Hasn't that Haslam's MO? It has been, but, I mean, that only gets you so far. And if he's not hitting baseline jumpers, I mean, would he have a little bit more athleticism to him? Then you would get away with that. But right now, I mean, I'll do it. I'll, I would, if, I mean, yeah, Birdman struggled in game one, so you want to give Udonis more run and see if that can help? Sure. I'm just not going to come out and expect him to be the player that he once was. Right. For me personally, the guy that, you know, uh, and I enjoy watching, you know, more than anybody on the Heat, maybe outside of uh, LeBron, is Norris Cole. Uh, I know he's not a primetime player. I, I know Chalmers has more experience, and Chalmers is a much better shooter. But I think maybe if Cole could come in and make Parker work a little bit, um, you know, maybe get some quick drives to the basket, uh, take some of the pressure, help LeBron save some energy where he doesn't feel like he has to do everything, you know, offensively. Uh, create every shot for his for his teammates and create every shot for himself. And as I said, make Parker work a little bit. I, I think Cole is a guy that can be kind of like an unsung um, um, guy off the bench that can can really spark the team. That, that's my personal opinion. I, I agree with Josh that they need somebody bigger. And I do see the importance, as Cam pointed out, of, of Chalmers knocking down some jumpers because, you know, that's their game. LeBron creates and he, he helps get his teammates open. And they usually make a lot of threes, uh, but but Cole's a guy I think that could have the biggest impact of of the young young players anyway. Does Miami right, have guys. even wait? Does Miami have even one legitimate big man on the on the roster? Birdman. Well, and Odin, but Odin's not playing. Is he not playing because he's hurt, or is he just not playing because they don't think he'll be able to contribute? A little bit of both. Like isn't that a, isn't that yeah. a knock on Riley a little bit to well, not have like, think, like a, a big man that can that can just play defense defense a little bit and give you like you know ten minutes a game that can like size up against Duncan or another center. I mean, okay, I know they cool, tried so, it with, with Odin, but that was right, like no, a, what, a five percent so game. Basically, let's bring back Joel Anthony because that's what he was. He's six nine, six. 
but rebound, block shots, set some screens on offense. Um, but if, you know, somebody drove the lane and tried to kick him the ball, he would drop it all the time. So they did that with him, and then, you know, they let him go or whatever. But it, I, I get where, in a perfect world, everybody would want to have a an Andre Drummond or a DeMarcus Cousins uh, down low for their team. But with getting LeBron and Wade and Bosch, there's just simply not money for that. So they had to kind of go on the waiver wire and, you know, take through the broken parts and say, cool, who is available with size to take the minimum? And they got Birdman last year, and there's nobody better this year. They got Odin to try to see if that could work. It didn't, so they're stuck with what they got. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the NBA, big men are kind of like what left-handed pitchers are in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. I mean, they're if you're big, you can stick around for a long time. If you're big and you can do anything, you can stick around for a long time. They just, you know, a decent, quote-unquote, trash man, you know, your, your Tyson Chandlers, guys like that, aren't always easy to find. I mean, if I'm the Heat, it's a shame for the Heat that uh, the guy from Kentucky, what's his name? Uh, not the superstar. Uh, their seven-footer looks to me like a, a, a Tyson Chandler clone. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein. Willie Cauley-Stein. Oh, if you put Willie yeah. Cauley-Stein on the Heat right now, even as a, I mean, he's a college player. Who knows what he'll be able to do in the NBA? But Willie Cauley Stein or somebody like that. You put somebody like that in the Heat, and and they're five games better in my opinion. That that's the one missing ingredient, as you pointed out. So Riley, yeah, it's a mock draft where they're supposedly going to, you know, they had the Heat picking some big guy that can rebound. So. Yeah, Willie Cauley Stein I mean, yeah, actually is but... going back to Kentucky, um, so they he wouldn't be eligible anyway. But I mean, somebody like yeah. that. You're, you're absolutely right. Somebody like that seems to be noticeably absent. Watching game one, it just looked like they had no answers down low. Their Bosch is playing out of position, clear, clearly trying to guard Duncan. So, pretty interesting, guys, and, and great segment. And this, this is a very uh, intriguing NBA Finals, obviously, for you know the majority of Keynes fans or Heat fans as well. So, uh, a lot riding on tonight's game. But uh, let, let's push forward. Um, I, I want to talk about a subject that's near and dear to myself. I don't know if, and, you know, the people that are listening are freaking out right now, but boxing is, is one of my favorite sports. Uh, Josh, I know you're a little bit of a boxing aficionado. Cam, how about yourself? Do you like boxing? Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not a, a historian of the sport, but I do enjoy uh, the pugilistic arts, sure. Okay. The sweet science, as they call it. Uh, last night, uh, in a fight that I had been, that I was really looking forward to, and I was a little disappointed that it was uh, not competitive at all. Miguel Cotto basically wiped the floor with Sergio Martinez at Madison Square Garden, and uh, they stopped the fight after a ninth round because Sergio was looking old, he was looking injured, and uh, Cotto really looked to be on his A game. Uh, did you guys get a chance to watch that fight, either of you? No, I, I I passed out before it. Um, I did actually uh, get a chance to watch a little bit of it, yeah. Okay. So, so Cam, I'll start with you on this subject. Uh, was that a combination of Cotto being that good, Martinez being that bad, or was it one or the other? No, it, it was a combination of both. Um, Cotto, you know, came out, 
on a mission. Um, he knocked down Martinez three times in the first. Um, you know, and as I was getting settled in, I just saw a whole bunch of capital letter tweets, exclamation points, and expletives from people. Oh, shoot! You know, things like that. Uh, because, I mean, within the first minute, uh, Martinez was on the ground, uh, and, yeah, Cotto just he figured, okay, maybe he was just doing a, a Mike Tyson-like thing. I'm going to come out really fast. I'm going to go, you know, pedal to the metal and hope that I win now. And then, okay, the second round, he's going to settle in and he's going to box. You know, he came in throwing haymakers after haymakers after haymakers all day long, and Martinez couldn't do anything about it. Uh, by about the fourth round, I really actually kind of felt bad for Martinez uh, just because he couldn't really defend himself in there. And he was trying to, you know, throw a little bit of a jab to keep him all, uh, you know, keep Cotto away. And Cotto just kind of dodged that like it was a, you know, a, a mosquito or something just kept going forward. Um, and he, he made Martinez look really, really old. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a combination of both. Um, and Cotto just clearly outclassed Martinez all night long. In Martinez's defense, though, he's coming off his shoulder surgery. He's coming off a knee surgery. He had broke his hand in his previous fight as well. Uh, Martinez is a guy that I've always said is like a poor man's Roy Jones when Roy Jones was in his prime. Very unconventional, fights with his hands down, relies on quickness and athleticism more than pure skill. Um, 39 years old, coming off of two surgeries. It's a lot, you know, and not having... Uh, you know, the short-type punches that allow some fighters to fight, you know, later on, just the, the, the skill and the art, artist, artistry of boxing that you need um, to fight past your prime. Uh, I think, you know, it was almost a little bit of a bigger factor that Martinez's age caught up to him more than I thought Cotto was necessarily sensational. He was effective. And you could see uh, that, you know, switching to Freddie Roach, he worked on some of his basics. His left hand was a lot crisper. Um, Kodo is a right-handed fighter, but primarily relies on his left hand. He loves going to the body, and he loves going upstairs with the left. Um, it looked like he has refined his left hand, and that makes him dangerous um, going forward and, and as a welterweight or a middleweight um, since he moved up last night. Uh, Josh, let yeah. me ask you. Do you think Miguel Cotto has enough left in the tank to get a couple of big name fights, or or is he just is this as good as it gets for him? Um, I mean, you know, I think he deserves another shot at somebody if he wants to keep going, and you know, see how that goes. I mean, he seems to have finally recovered from that Margarito fight, though. It took a bunch of years off his career. I I, I couldn't agree more with you. That's a great point. Would you want to see Cotto in there? Blaster hands did get him good, and he, fortunately for Cotto, he got his revenge in the rematch. But let me just give you a hypothetical. Do you think Cotto could maybe, you know, last with a guy like Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, no. who's right now is the, you know, the guy that everybody in the middleweight division is afraid of? No. I think it would probably look like what that fight last night looked like, even though I didn't see it. <laughs> While we're on the topic, let me just ask, uh, just for fun, Cam, who, who's your favorite boxer of all time? Um, you know, I'm from Detroit, so if I don't say Joe Lewis, then I can never go home again. So, um, Joe Lewis, I mean, yeah, he, he was just, uh, you know, he was representative of our city, or my city where I'm from, 
Uh, if you don't know, there is a gigantic sculpture right downtown in front of the city county building on Grand Boulevard of Joe Louis' fist um, because that was the thing that united the city of Detroit, um, which for much of its history was very, very segregated. However, everyone, black and white and otherwise, came together uh, and would listen on the radio when Joe Louis fought. Uh, and they would go to the bar um, and, you know, they would be, uh, you know, drinking their drinks and uh, lighting their cigars and cigarettes and everything. And it didn't matter what color or creed you were, everyone just came there uh, in support of Joe Lewis. So as a native Detroiter, i got to say Joe Lewis. It's interesting you say Joe Lewis because he came up in the conversation Josh and I had last week. We were arguing whether, uh, you know, today's current baseball players would would have more success if you went back, you know, if you could just somehow transplant them via time machine to the 40s and 50s. And my argument, which Josh countered very nicely, but my argument was that uh, baseball and boxing are the two sports that are timeless and that, you know, like you can't put a 1940s NFL team against the current NFL team. But I think a guy like Mickey Mantle could be successful in any time. And I brought up Joe Lewis. I said, Joe Lewis was so good that, you know, I would put him up against Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, anybody, and I just think that, um, you know, his hand speed, his power, his skill set translated to any time period in boxing where he would have done well against anybody. So it's interesting you bring yeah. that up. Um, Josh, who's your favorite all-time boxer? Oh, man. I would say, uh, I would say either Mike Tyson or Lennox Lewis. And the Lennox Lewis has nothing to do with the fact that you and him had a couple of conversations in in South Florida. No, that that has a lot to do with it. Lennox is cool. I mean, I, I I like I don't I don't have like a historical connection to boxing like a lot of fans. I came to it a little bit later, like when I was in maybe when high school. Well, I, I watched Tyson when I was younger, but that's really it. You know, when my when my father would watch it, and then you know when I got to high school and college, I I watched boxing a little more. So I didn't really get immersed really in the history of the sport. You know, I know about the classic fighters, but uh, as far as guys I watch, I, I enjoy watching Tyson and I enjoy watching Lewis. And I thought T- Tyson and Lewis were kind of interesting because Tyson would say the most ridiculous things and Lewis would say kind of ridiculous things, but they were kind of smart too. So I like both those guys. They were kind of like cartoon characters. The British accent never helps you sound smarter, does it? No, it supposedly always does, you know? <laughs> My all-time favorite boxer, and I, I referenced him earlier when comparing to Sergio Martinez, is, is Roy Jones. Um, uh, but Tyson's very high up there. I, I grew up on Tyson. You know, Tyson got me hooked on the sport. Uh, I, I don't think anybody more devastating has come along than Tyson. Um, so Tyson and Roy Jones would be my top two. And, and And my current favorite boxer is a guy that a lot of people haven't heard of yet. Um but it's going to take the welterweight division by storm in the next couple of years, I predict. Keith one-time Thurman from the state of Florida, um, and he is taking his way up the welterweight division. And uh, Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather may be retired before he makes it to the point where he's getting pay-per-view events, but that, that's a guy that has it all. So I, I look forward to watching him in the in the coming years. All right, guys, so so we did a little bit of all-time great talk, which brings me to the last subject of the day. Uh, Cam, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, we're going to rewind here and go back into a Keynes-type topic. 
I want you to okay. give me your all-time University of Miami defensive secondary, two safeties and two corners. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. This uh, definitely does put me on the spot. I'm not making this up. This was not in the email string, so I did not prepare this. Um, so Josh has a little bit of an advantage. Okay, here we go. Um, I have to go with Ed Reed, um, all-time career leading interception leader uh, for the Miami Hurricanes at one safety. Um, at the other safety, man, this is tough. I'm going to go old school, and I'm going to go with Benny Blades. Um, he was All-American for Miami uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, also know about him because he played for my Detroit Lions. His brother, Brian Blades, was an NFL wide receiver. Um, but, yeah, i got to go with E. Reed and Benny as my safeties. At corner, oh, man, this is that's getting a little bit tougher because so many guys switch position on me. Um, I'm going to go with Antrell, uh, a little bit from my time. It was like one or two years ahead of me in college, so I got to see most of his games in person. Um, really great technician um, who then trans- transitioned to safety later in his NFL career. Um, man, and that's the other cornerback spot. That's tough. Um, mm, I don't, I honestly don't even much know. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, no, okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break format, so I'm going to give you a fourth one, and just because I can, the late great Sean Taylor, because he was such an impact player. So three safeties in a corner, but those are my four guys. I, as I hear you giving those answers, I'm thinking to myself, Sean Taylor at strong safety, I know he played free safety at UM, and he, you know, had like a million interceptions, but I would put him up in the box and let him destroy running backs all day. I put Ed Reed at free safety. I, I would probably agree with you on roll, though I might go with Dwayne Starks at one side because I really thought he was underrated in his time at UM, and he helped me win a bet one time that was really awesome, but I'll save that story for another time. No. And, um, oh! No, I just thought of it. Ryan McNeil. Duh. There's my fourth. All right, Ryan McNeil, you can't go wrong there. Had, had a good long NFL career. And I might go also with Phil Buchanan because he was probably the best cover corner on the greatest college football team of all time. So I probably, if I had to go, I'd go Buchanan, Starks, Reed, Taylor. That'd be my four. Now, Josh. We haven't left you much of a selection, so I'm not going to ask you to to give us your all-time secondary. But how about who do you think's a, and I mean you've got a lot of good choices here. Who do you think's the greatest player to ever play in the second? What? The greatest player, the greatest single individual player to play defensive back at Miami. Uh, I have to pick Ed Reed. Can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong there. All right, guys, uh, this is going to be a little bit of an abbreviated episode. Uh, there's not a ton going on in the world of UM sports. I think we covered everybody well, and we did some interesting things. I, I, you know, always have a good time if I could get boxing on the show somehow. Uh, I thank you guys for your great insights, a couple of production notes. Uh, next week, I don't know if we're going to have an episode. I definitely won't be available because next weekend is my 30th birthday. So, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll be, uh, enjoying my Sunday with a dozen or so beers and probably 
hundred or so chicken wings. So, but we may have a show. We may not. Um, we may take a little bit of time off, um, depending on what you guys, how you guys feel about doing it, and how our our listeners feel um, until things pick back up. Uh, great show. Any closing thoughts, Cam? Uh, no, man. You know, just a great show. Be sure that you guys are still going to stateofu.com every day. A lot of uh, you know preseason stuff. They'll do some uh, unit previews, schedule previews. Uh, obviously, the recruiting season comes. Uh, comes around this summer. I'm actually going to start working on a couple different things, uh, you know, and just uh, stay plugged in, and, you know, we'll have uh, some great free content always for you. Your number one spot for Kane's news and uh, insight right here at uh, Thank you, Cam. Josh, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, again, a great show, and, uh, you know, look forward to the next one. All right, excellent. And uh, I'll let you guys go get prepared for that Heat Spurs game because that's what I'm going to do. Thank you, guys. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. (laughs) That too.